This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello everybody and welcome to We Are Curious and uh, today we are having our second episode uh, featuring a special guest, a uh, very fine white wine that Eric Jackson decided to get us, um, I mean as a, as a treat and uh, we do have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to discuss um, again both from an African, uh, global and uh, Context and again, we'll still speak about a lot of tech. I think a yeah. uh, bunch of finance stuff, and you know how I got last time, random stuff. Um, so uh, welcome, and uh, I think without much ado, we can just go into the first topic. And uh, the first topic uh, we are going to be discussing Brita Bridges, uh, which is a data company based out of um, out of Nairobi and London, uh, speaking about the African funding ecosystem. So according to Brita Bridges, um, the entire African tech ecosystem was funded to a tune of uh, 1.3 billion dollars, and um, that's not including undisclosed uh, and obviously M&A action, which is significantly low because the previous year I think we'd done about two billion uh, or thereabouts and um, that just sort of like brought uh, back the whole question about funding in the continent of Africa. Uh, I have a lot to say about it but I would rather everyone else goes first uh, before you conclude. So I don't know what you think Eric about it. Yeah, uh, I think maybe just uh, to be clear the Brighter Bridges report is from their key partners so it's not a conclusive Okay, it's it's not again. a conclusive uh, report for the entire ecosystem. So what they do is they, they, they partnered with lots of uh, farms uh, and funds, uh, about the, you know, about 70 funds, to just look at um, where those funds have invested money uh, across different sectors uh, for startups in Africa. So um, yes, the amount seems low, but uh, for me, I think uh, the learnings from the report are what we need to sort of just dig a, dig deeper into to look at you know the sectors that are obviously getting the most funding and those that are being neglected and you know just look at what could be the reasons for that but again my friend Mokaneno you can jump in and just help us understand the report I think uh, generally there's there's been that there's been that sort of uh, trajectory and I think in 2020 one of the biggest things that we saw were were acquisitions you know we're talking yeah. um, people like um, what is it? Paystack. Paystack, and then we have DPO Wave, and, and we have Wave. DPO, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, and um, I think it's a growing trend that might possibly sort of exceed 2020, and we're going to see it probably within the next, uh, within this year and the other. Hopefully, we're going to have um, more exits from the continent. Yeah. That's uh, uh, <coughs> sorry to jump back in here, and it brings me back to this very interesting article that uh, was written by the guys from the subtext. Um, Zaruman, um, he works at a fund as well, um, a VC fund. Um, I'm trying to remember the name. Anyway, he works in a VC fund. <laughs> they do a lot of early stage investing, um, and they wrote this article with Darina Debayo that was called "The Chicken or the Exit." I don't know if anyone has gotten the chance to read it. It's a fantastic piece of writing, and I, I, I honestly seem to agree with what they, the conclusion from it that um, the ecosystem is pretty, pretty premature for us to already start having um, discussions about exits, and um, so what they said and part of. I guess the entire article was very interesting and obviously it was nice to have all the stories about whaling and everything else. But what stuck out to me the most was this paragraph where they spoke about um, ecosystem maturity and sort of like how ecosystems move. So you have an early nascent um, sort of like tech ecosystem where people are doing experiments. I'm building the online, I don't know, uh, a phone, <laughs> a phone market. I'm building the online advertising agency. I'm building the online and, and those so guys are running um, experiments in that sphere and a lot of that money is coming from local angels at that at that moment in time where you have people selling 50 percent of their companies in exchange for what um two million twenty thousand dollars and then 
that after that happens so you have um he says that you have the um, uh, an ecosystem starting to mature and gets into this hype stage which i think is where we are uh, potentially where the latin america market is southeast asia mm-hmm. uh, obviously in very different stages of the hype market and uh, what they said is within in the hype once we get to the hype phase um so fast investor sophistication starts to take place and the solutions coming out of it that um start to get a bit mature five ten years ago it would have been unthinkable to build a paystack equivalent but now as uh, ecosystems start to mature as you have more people building on the rails of the very fast um, level of early and nascent entrepreneurs you see that growth and i love this example where they gave in 2016 the entire latin america market had only 500 million in venture funding three years later they're doing about 4.6 billion dollars um give an example of southeast asia market where they had only one unicorn in 2014 and three years down the line they had um five unicorns acquiring nearly 28 startups so sort of like that level of ecosystem maturity and so but but i think mm -hmm. i think it's it's also it's it's also important to not generalize uh because if you're talking about uh like now the 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 different stages on that hype cycle Mm -hmm. um i think the 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 main countries we can say are in the hype cycle at the moment is nigeria or and South Africa. Absolutely. So so if you're looking at even Kenya, mm-hmm. um I don't think we are yet at that maturity stage where Absolutely. there's enough startups Cloud, that yeah. um are ready for acquisition yeah. or are re- ready for that uh, global scale. So yes, there's yeah. one or two um which obviously are ahead of their time but um I think we're still a year away from seeing that full maturity of the ecosystem where yeah. we can actually say now um even the Kenyan ecosystem itself we able to uh, to get acquisitions yeah. uh, which are actually high valued acquisitions and you're potentially right but when i think about it i think um it, it would be it would be it would be pedestrian of us not to to actually agree with what you're saying that um you would have nascent ecosystems with sort of like sub nascent sort of like um growth growth stages and same thing with like hype because Kenya is hype uh, but then still early stage Nigeria is hype but way advanced um Indonesia and the Philippines are hype but way 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 ahead so so is the case with Brazil and every other single market so i think um given take for me the one thing that uh, i i took from that is two things and i know i'm talking the most but anyway um <laughs> so the way uh the two things that the two big things that i did take away from it is one about um it's about the prima- how premature it is for us of us to expect markets to start to witness that um high level of growth in this very early stage and the second thing that i took out of it was uh after fintech fintech is obviously the sweet spot there's a, i mean cash is still 90 95%, 95% um of all transactions taking place in the african continent however clean tech was the second and then healthcare the third and i am very very excited about the possibilities that clean tech uh presents and here is why um and i'm more than happy to hear what the other eric so, so guys we are three erics today um <laughs> yeah so, no no uh, actually we are three erics yeah. a felix a Eunice, and on top of you know the usual crew yeah so yeah. it's a bit uh yeah it's a party i tell you that's for sure mm-hmm. um for me the one thing that i i took away from that was um how prominent clean tech um or let me call it clean tech slash renewable energy mm-hmm. is 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 fast growing as um a lever of tech innovation mm-hmm. and here's why the same way the african continent decided to leap over mm-hmm. mobile devices i mean computers and pcs and move directly to mobile devices as um the first layer of sort of like access accessing digital services mm-hmm. i feel it's the same way that we're going to do with uh power, with tech and energy and um it it will be i feel like valuations and chamat said this uh, a few weeks back that valuations of energy companies and energy assets are going to be severely devalued over the next couple of years mm-hmm and there's no better place to see that in action than in the african continent just think about the possibility that a company like azuri or mcopa presents to someone who's off the grid um in rural kenya you're giving them this so 
forget the um, again there's that whole discussion of are they a payment company or are they a clean energy company so forget that whole demarcation of of thought but just think about the possibilities that that company presents um, in terms of allowing people for the first time not to access the, the grid no that's not even a discussion but to access clean power so you have this household that has never had electricity in their house or has never had lighting in their house and their first touch point with power is a renewable energy source well they ever need the grid so you start to see such things and and, and the kind of possibilities it presents I, I would I would put my money in in clean energy, not no less. I don't know what everyone else thinks. Eric, I'm more than happy to hear your thoughts. The other Eric, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, Eric with a K. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm Eric with a K. My interest is on the green, uh, on the green, uh, on the green side of things. So looking at um, what the likes of uh, Tes- the likes of Tesla are doing, trying to champion that green energy and all that. So I think it's an interesting space. Takatijanting to come market. Yeah, um, I think also Eunice can touch on on, on, on energy renewable, especially because I know this is an area of interest for you. Well, it looks like Eunice has chickened out, <laughs> and I'm, no, I'm not going to edit that How part out. I, I think I think um, I think the startup space is. is Pretty much, there's still a lot to talk about, mm-hmm. especially regarding uh, the distribution of funding. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the inequalities of gender, looking at how um, the top most funded startups in the continent, there's still that sort of distribution of funding mm-hmm. between um, locally headquartered startups versus startups headquartered, you know, in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I think we can still explore more. Mm-hmm. However, I would like us to proceed at um, markets and let's talk about. You know, Safaricom hitting an all-time high this week. Eric, one, what do you think? Interesting. Uh, that was a good one. Uh, so I think that drove uh, Safaricom's market cap to nearly 1.5 trillion. Oh, wow. I think that's nearly is it? Can I say more 60, than 60%? 60.29%. 60. Yes, of the entire market, the evaluation of, of our stock market. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, I think, was, ad- was actually driven by, if I'm not wrong, foreign investors who are trying to get back into the market. Mm-hmm. And uh, recent news, I think, as we've discussed this before with uh, Felix, uh, recent news around the wave of mobile money charges. Mm-hmm. Uh, <coughs> I think right now a lot of uh, investors who are keen on frontier and emerging markets are keen to get part of this story. So I think, and my thinking is, the share price will continue going up. So and my target <coughs> price before the end of the year, I'm calling this year officially. <laughs> uh, my target price before the end of the year, we should see around uh, above 40 to 45 there. But what about predictions? Okay. Driven by what mostly? Yes, that, that would be my question because... Um, All the shots. Uh, <laughs> do, do you anticipate uh, an increase in revenue? Do you anticipate um, new products? Do you anticipate the Ethiopian market to come through? Like, what, what would make you The key drivers. My thinking is this, what's been driving the share price at the moment will be foreigners who are buying into the Safaricom story. Mm-hmm. And what are they buying into? What story are they buying into? M-Pesa. M-Pesa, of course. Mm-hmm. Expansion into Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Uh, though I think the, pa- the capex under the expansion in Ethiopia, I think it's, it's so quite it's a bit, huge. It's a bit steep, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then uh, when you look at things around n- the new products online that are going into the wealth management industry, mm-hmm. And given the kind of infrastructure that they built over the years, mm-hmm. it's Even just insurance. yes. It's actually a matter of how do we plug this on top of M-Pesa. Yeah. I think the Mali product they're trying to launch a partnership with different uh, investment banks locally. Mm-hmm. So I think there's quite an opportunity that that some of these investors are seeing. And given the current environment that we are in, yeah. everything is moving digital. I see that price going up. What do you feel? Um, I know Peter Ndegwa said that his next, the next level of stratification of Safaricom is moving towards becoming a tech company and less and less of a telco. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you generally think about that? Um, because they have, the, Safaricom, in my opinion, could go fifty gazillion different ways. They could go the uh, Ali 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 Pay Ali Ali Group Ant Financial way. They would mm-hmm. go the SoftBank way. They would. They have. They could go the Verizon way mm-hmm. and buy an MG for 
no, no, do you no. want to sell hisa to them? And you <laughs> 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 yeah, never. So, so I mean, it, it could look, it could go five five gazillion ways. I don't know what, what what's I've your opinion of, on it. Uh, in, the, in the long run, what you are likely to see is this: Safaricom recently uh, separated the financial services side of the business from the telco business. So they have a company called Mpesa Holdings, Mpesa Holdings Limited. Uh, I see a situation whereby after they bought, after they acquired the Mpesa brand from the mother company, I see a situation whereby Mpesa Holdings mm-hmm. will be spinned off into a totally different entity. Will they, uh, will they give us priority shareholders? And one thing is, mm-hmm. one thing is this: they'll okay. use that to expand Mpesa across. African markets, at some point, I wouldn't be surprised if they spin off Mpesa Holdings or the financial services company and list that as a different company. That would be exciting. But, 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 but again, for me, it's, um, I'm looking at what you're saying and um, so, so I'm looking at what you're saying uh, of spinning off Mpesa Holdings. Um, and growing it into a um, sort of an Africa-wide fintech. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, for me, I, I see lots of challenges because um, if, you, if you look at the fintech space at the moment, um, the companies are moving fast. Extremely uh, fast. And Safaricom doesn't have that agility given that they are a listed company with shareholders that they need to report to. Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, uh, yes, I I see that vision. They could really spin off a fintech, mm-hmm. but I don't think they would execute us fast enough to c- actually capture the market share mm-hmm. and compete with the guys like Cheaper Cash and you know people who are doing transfers or are doing payments. So yes, I see that that part, um, but much of Safaricom's offering has been bundled together with uh, the telco service. The telco service. Mm-hmm. So uh, the most logical way is what Eric was saying, the Verizon way. So you, you move beyond being a telco into being sort of like a platform where you aggregate services, but at the end of the day, you're going to be limited by your geographical uh, reach. Mm-hmm. So if they don't get into Ethiopia, then it's it's pretty hard to grow that M-Pesa brand or M-Pesa fintech brand mm-hmm. into other markets like Ethiopia and, um, and say Nigeria, because at, at the core of it, you'll need a telco to actually work with or to establish that telco presence mm-hmm. before you can actually grow your products. But that's just my thought. And you have, um, I'm sorry, to, uh, guys, I'll keep speaking the most, but, and you make a very, very good point because uh, just think about it this way, um, to an example that we gave last last week. When Microsoft decided to give uh, start Teams, right? <laughs> um, Slack didn't think of anything of it, of their solution. But what they did right is, what Microsoft had right is distribution. Yeah. They plugged in Teams into pretty much every single office bundle um, that was available and in days had millions of, of users across the world. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Safaricom. What Safaricom, what, what M-Pesa does right is M-Pesa has distribution enabled by the telco. Yeah. But then outside of the Kenyan market, what's to build that stickiness? Uh, you're competing with platforms like Cheaper Cash that are moving quick they have the balance sheet for it um just this morning i had the country manager uh, speak on capital fm and say that they've just received their license in the uk mm-hmm. um they're about to get their license in the us and um they they, they soon will allow remittances to happen um oh. from across from the uk to all those other markets where they're operating okay soon um they will allow fractional ownership of stocks uh, crypto in markets that uh, that has happened. So that kind of agility, I don't, I don't see it at, at that telco level. And um, the spinning off component is not even a management question. It's not, it's not even, it's, it's, it should be an innovation question, not a management yeah. question. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, uh, and I might, I might be wrong, potentially very wrong, but I don't think um, the spin-off is driven by innovation. I feel like it's driven by management and the need to give more value to shareholders. But again, I could potentially be wrong. Okay. I don't know what you think, what your response is uh, to this. Huh. Felix Just as well. Felix, Felix we uh, need to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry guys, sorry. I know I've been silent for some time. Um, I've been trying to look at the discussions that um, the two Eric's are having, the three Eric's, and it's very, <laughs> it's, it, it's very interesting because 
you know, I've always looked at Safaricom from a different angle. Um, while Eric is saying, Eric with a K was saying <laughs> that uh, we, uh, we, we, the, the rally that we've seen is because foreign investors are coming back to the market. I actually think foreign investors have been on the market. I think foreign investors have been on the market for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Even during the period when we had the COVID-19 um, crisis and we had a lot of issues, um, even on Impesa payments, there were a lot of worries that were here and there about Safaricom and the performance, even the banks. Mm-hmm. Um, I know most of us, uh, the local, the, the retail investors pulled off the market for some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually think that it's, it's gotten into a point where the entire market is moving back, not only foreign investors, but mm-hmm. even the local investors. Okay. Uh, it's January. Fund managers are opening their books. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of buying for now because fund managers usually close their books around the 26th mm-hmm. so that the last settlement gets when their books is... Uh, the last settlement on CDSC for mm-hmm. the equities market mm-hmm. is already uh, factored into their books at least by 31st mm-hmm. when all this happens. So my thoughts actually if you're looking on Safaricom, the rally has been driven by both. Mm-hmm. There's been a thirst for investment opportunities mm-hmm. uh, the whole of last year. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of uncertainties. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, for the first time, central bank said uh, that the money in people's hands, uh, people were more liquid than ever mm-hmm. the l- uh, last year, mm-hmm. at least within the history of our economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever we see people become this liquid, it's always when we, uh, during the, the election cycle. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at it from a point of guys who are thirsty for investment opportunities mm-hmm. and people are looking at the companies that are giving us uh, returns, stability. If it's not the banks, which company are we looking at? It's Safaricom. It's Safaricom, yeah. Safaricom is uh, technically has always been compared to if, if, you'd move, if you'd remove Safaricom from NSE, then there's likely to be almost nil activity yes. in terms of trading. So that's one. Uh, second thing you guys are mentioning um, about the direction of Safaricom. Well, I agree with you, Eric, that Safaricom is likely to continue in terms of pricing. The rally will continue. Mm-hmm. But where I'm looking at Safaricom is there's a point where we are going to look at this, t- uh, the telco firm mm-hmm. as a mobile transfer service, mm-hmm. a mobile transfer platform. And that would mean we start valuing Safaricom as a mobile services company, as a money, a money service, a money transfer service company, rather than a mobile service company, mm-hmm. that means when we start valuing Safaricom, mm-hmm. we are starting to do a valuation from the point where we do valuations for companies like Visa and Mastercard. Mm-hmm. That is where I'm looking at this company mm-hmm. heading into. Mm-hmm. So the prospects for Safaricom for me, it's so high. It's uh, when 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 I fathom just how far Safaricom is likely to move in as a company and the shareholder returns we are going to expect mm-hmm. in the next few years, I think it's actually scary for me. Mm-hmm. So, so, is, so is that a buy recommendation? He's <laughs> <laughs> making a buy recommendation. That, is, that looks like a buy recommendation in Safari. My, my only question is, yeah. you see the, uh, like, uh, the mobile money transfer service uh-huh. um, component has been a very large level of MPESA revenues. Yes. But over and above, I feel like it's becoming increasingly becoming a race to zero. Like the peer-to-peer mobile money transfer service, mm-hmm. I feel like it's going to become a race to zero because one is you have, yes, indeed, the stickiness that has been brought by having the telco pro- offering underlying services, mm-hmm. no less, mm-hmm. right? But then with, um, with competition from fintechs and with, increasing, with consumers getting much more options, it becomes almost a no-brainer as to why a consumer will pay a higher price point to transfer money to another user, uh, whereas there's an alternative service to pay cheaper, one. Mm -hmm. And second of all, the cost of uh, mobile money transfer in Kenya is exorbitant. It does not make sense to uh, charge me to transfer money and charge me to withdraw it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one one of those cost, cost centers in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, will have to go. I don't know which. And mm-hmm. again, it, it's beautiful that the telco um, here maintains, has a monopoly, uh, quote-unquote. <laughs> hey, guys, don't put me in trouble. <laughs> yes, but um, it's, 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 so it becomes like an almost... 
I think I think I think just to mention, I think um, I believe that the reason why we are seeing a lot of high hopes on Safaricom is because Safaricom is slowly turning into. Uh, I'd say to some extent, I would always view Safaricom as a utility company, because if you look at every aspect of your day-to-day -day livelihood, Safaricom provides yeah. the internet you're using. Safaricom gives you the the telecommunications and it gives you the mobile and it's almost everything all at a go to some extent. Um, as much as we would rely on, and and I agree that the cost, the the transaction cost at times gets a little bit high, and I believe that is why even Safaricom this year as from 1st of January, they, they, they worked on a model where they would reduce the transaction costs, mm -hmm. uh, which I believe was um, a good one for them. I think that to some extent, until we see a point where we have uh, a full independent peer-to-peer uh, mm -hmm. -peer transfer service mm -hmm. that doesn't rely on, on the telecommunications bit, mm -hmm. I think that is where that is where Safaricom would, would be hit. Mm -hmm. uh, I was looking at, uh, you see the way PesaLink works, yep. very open, very workable, scalable. Yep. Um, but the challenge is, to the end, you there's there's a link where they have to the the pass one one way or another the money that moves through Pesa Link mm -hmm. will end up in an Mpesa account somewhere. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm trying to look at it from a point of the point where we we're looking at Safaricom as being um, threatened in terms of scalability, in terms of revenue, is to a point where we have a peer-to-peer -peer transfer that doesn't rely on the telecommunications end. And looking at Kenya and what you've said, quote unquote, monopoly for Safaricom, um, and, and until Safaricom is is either we have a, tel a new telecommunications company or the current ones expand to a point where they take on the market share for Safaricom on mobile money transfer, I don't think that we're going to get to a point where Safaricom's revenue will be, at really least not in the near future, in my opinion. In, but in my but I really agree, I really agree yeah. with your thoughts. I think, I think Felix has given us uh, a, an idea for a future episode. Absolutely. The, the curious case of, of Pesalink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can examine I th I that, that at length. I think that because we need to examine. I've, I've always rooted for Pesalink, yeah. um, and it's sad that years later it's, it's not yet, the adoption is not yet um, as as great or as fast as I thought it would be, but I think that would be for a later episode. Yeah, um, and speaking of um, uh, the, the patchy topic of dominance, um, I guess that offers a very good segue towards um, an interesting topic on censorship. You know, we still have one more market fundamental, uh, market sort of like conversation to have, uh, but then I think it would be interesting to just speak a bit about censorship. So I'm mad. And I'll tell you this for sure. I'm a big Trump supporter. I have no shame in that. I mean, like, I like the guy. He's crazy. He's nuts. Um, but I, I think here is where you start with a disclaimer. Okay. The views expressed, oh, okay. your own personal views, and do not reflect <laughs> our very able sponsors. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I think. Um, I'm not going to go into the mechanics as of why I I, I, I like the guy. Um, I don't adore him, and so I don't have a crush on him, but I like <laughs> what he stands for in some aspects, not in everything. Uh, so that brings me to like this very big topic that happened over, I think, the last two weeks on um, on, on censorship. Oh, we weren't recording? No, you're fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and that brings us to this big topic on, um, on, on censorship. Um, and, you know, for me, I think, uh, I, I understand. First, these are independent platforms. Um, they do have their own terms and conditions. They do have their own um, rules and regulations governing the way they operate. And uh, if we are relying on that, then absolutely kick him out, out of the platform. Violence, no less. Mm -hmm. He needs to go. My only big problem is what Trump represents. I, you know, in one shape or form, uh, we might want to wish it away because uh, for, I guess for everyone in, at this table, uh, you do not agree with his opinions and his thought processes and what he stands for, but we cannot wish away the 70 something million people he represents in America and billions of and people you, across the world. And you in Kenya. That, I mean, <laughs> I'm a fan of strongmen. I'm not going to lie. Um, and the billions of people across the world that um, he, 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 he represents in a sense. So 
when you look at that example, mm -hmm. um, I think it's fundamentally wrong for those platforms to try and censor because at the end of the day, we should have the freedom and the ability to annoy, to anger, and to provoke. And pretty much why social media platforms came about is to allow for that expression, regardless of whatever you are. And for the longest time, social media platforms have been realmed as like this big next frontier of advancement of democracy. But here they are, uh, curtailing it, simply because they do not agree um, with it. And I do not dispute. Indeed, you do have um, rules around flagging content that is deemed violent, abusive, um, obviously uh, issues around, um, around, around nudity and ETC and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I think some things or some aspects of it need to be sidestepped. And um, you look at what this person represents and what kind of censorship um, you might try and create in that situation. However, uh, because I am open to learning, <laughs> educate me and tell me why you think it was great. Because again, you can't censor ideology. I, I am still going to be a fan, whatever, regardless. I, I won't see him every other day. I won't retweet him and say yes, sir. But like, at the end of the day, you haven't changed my mind. You've tried to censure me and my ideology and whatever I think works for me. I, th I think my, my two cents on that. Uh, after that, I think uh, the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, uh, put out a very long thread saying, uh, as much as this was necessary, after looking at uh, intelligence information, they saw that the implications on continuing to allow Trump on their platform, specifically Twitter, would be much more worse than, than if they hadn't kicked him off. Mm -hmm. But then one of the most interesting things that he mentioned was the long-term implications of this particular action of the big tech guys are kicking Trump, trying to kick him out of uh, the internet, is that what does that mean for, I think as you mentioned, the free speech and all that? What does that mean? For you? I think, sorry, uh, let me just preempt sure. my ideas. Go for it. I think for me, I look at it, um, I would look at it sort of from a different angle. Mm -hmm. so, um, so, so if you look at communities, you know, even in our own African setting. So um, there was always that punishment for, you know, if you are not complying to what the community has set as the right, the way of those acceptable norms within the society. But, who, but those are based exactly. on public opinion. Listen, uh, and exactly, and I'm coming to that point. Okay. So, so, so you, so it was, it was, and it could be punishable by, you know, you being um, sort of, uh, chest from the community or not allowed to to live there or commit or basically mm -hmm. uh, interact with people in that community mm -hmm. because the whole idea of a community is um, you have your own set of rules which uh, people adhere to and in most cases th these rules are for the everyone's good you know so things like not killing or you know such stuff not stealing and so they govern the way the community is run or led. So I, I feel like even for the social media, uh, and this was unprecedented because um, they've really tried, mm -hmm. just to be honest, they've really tried to succumb, you know, to allow Trump as much airplay on their platforms as they could. Because it's, it's, they didn't wake up one day and burn him, you know. He's been pushing the boundaries. And I think it got to a point where even for them, they were like, where do we draw the line, you know? Um, because he's always going to, pushing we're always going to um, add the labels and say you know official sources have said this is not true mm -hmm. but he'll still keep saying it mm -hmm. you know he'll still keep riling up his supporters so at the end of the day you have to make a decision um, and I think when Twitter put out the blog what they explained is that uh, for them what they felt was that whatever he was putting out was likely to incite future violence it's not what about what had happened, it was about what it could do for future cases. And for that, again, it's it, it's whatever side you're looking at it, uh, there's good, there's bad, because now it sets a precedence. And I think the fact that um, those ideas move onto a different platform like Pala, which was now completely shut down, mm -hmm. I think now that's that's the red that's the red light, because 
for them if those ideologies those um, content was okay by their terms i feel like that should have that should not have been shut down because that was a community that didn't have a problem with whatever trump was saying or whatever was being put out mm -hmm. but now for companies like uh, amazon and all the service providers to actually shut them out now there is where now we, we got into the red line mm -hmm. because what it means is that uh, essentially if you are of contrary opinion there's no way you're going to host your service yeah. you're not basically going to put out your word so it's like you're completely shut off <laughs> so for me that's where i felt like that was too much mm -hmm. uh, for twitter if it violates your policies that's fine you can kick the guy out but if he finds a platform where those policies uh, he does not violate or that community actually agrees or um, says it's okay whatever you say I, I feel like that should not be killed off such that it's not uh, accessible but more can I not actually I actually I'm not a Trump person but then look Eric no bad blood but here's the thing yeah I feel like banning Trump on Twitter amongst other platforms was an extreme because it essentially took away what I would call the right to disagree. And here's the thing, let's look at it at a, another point in time where, for example, if we had Twitter at the time of Martin Luther King, then the dominant community would most likely say that this guy is actually inciting violence. So whatever Twitter and um, other social media platforms um, reacted to was essentially what appealed to the dominant opinion. I agree that there should be some level of uh, censorships and control that limit the influence of an individual to spread uh, malicious agendas like violence. But then I do not agree um, to the extent of silencing them entirely Absolutely. because that did two things yeah not only did it cut away donald trump from expressing himself it started a ripple effect which um <laughs> i would refer to as a witch hunt which went all the way to um you know affecting palace services mm -hmm. affecting um other politicians who did not agree to, um, even, to, even, to even, 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 even companies that are run by Donald Trump, that yeah. Yeah. majority, exactly. uh, went that went on and on and on. Yeah. on Twitter, so it was actually a huge ripple effect. And I feel like I feel like that that really really went went too far. Yeah. Um, I still feel like someone should be allowed to express what they want, Absolutely. but then disclaimers should be there just to allow any other consumer to sort of consume that content with sort of a pinch in that you know that this content is false, this content incites violence. If you choose to pursue it, well then, go for it. Yeah. And I feel like that is how, or rather those should be some of the guidelines we should promote in the online community. But then again, again how do you define then the violence and yeah. how do you define uh, the lies or the fake news? Because again, that's that's where the, the gray line is. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, Trump, Trump will tell you he was not inciting violence. Mm -hmm. So you are judging he was inciting violence. You, you, you see, you see, you see what Eric is saying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so again, that's the gray line that everyone is in. Mm -hmm. How do you def determine what is what is inciting violence? Because it's not AIs; it's actually people that are reviewing that content. For sure. So how do they determine without any bias? In 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 Trump, I think it was May or April, like when they passed that executive order. Uh, against like censorship, they, uh, they are clearly didn't work. But anyway, um, one of the things that they had said in there was I something something about um, how those platforms are no longer bulletin boards where people share and post their opinions, and the fact that they're starting to do moderation. Uh, this is after they started painting his post that this pay post is disputable or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so when they started to moderate that, then they became content creators. And like Trump's administration's argument was, look, if you're a content creator, then you're subject to different rules. You cannot censure. You are allowed, you should allow any single person to share whatever, to say and share whatever opinions they have. You shouldn't flag them. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. Mm -hmm. um, I feel those same companies are gonna be hit hard. It doesn't matter that it's the Biden administration that is in there. But you see what has happened in Poland? Um, so they passed a law around uh, you can't censure content 
uh, and they've even created like a whole administrative judicial administrative body that you can go to um, with, and within 48 hours have a post that you've shared reviewed and to see if it's hit those hallmarks of like um, so it, it's sort of like it's called the court of freedom of speech so you can go and say look my post was flagged and in 48 hours you're able to appeal and say no uh, I think my post didn't didn't, didn't of so as long as whatever is written on the internet does not offend or break any Polish laws. So, yeah. guess what's going to happen next? The EU is going to do it. Yeah. The next, <laughs> the Americans will be forced to do it. So it's, it's a good thing. It's, it's, it's a, a good, good thing, thing, and it needs to happen. So, I feel for me, um, these companies thought they were punishing Trump because he'd been attacking them, but in essence, they're going to be hit hard by this same administration, um, which even democratic um, candidates and democratic uh, leaning politicians have mm. consistently complained that wait why is right wing content able to proliferate so much and then i read something interesting that look trump has an opportunity to come back how so when you look at uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> look please please save that headline save that headline for 2024 <laughs> I tell like, you this man he's about, he's about to redo a reverse merger yes look when you look at uh, the shareholding structure of Twitter the shares uh, they don't have like either class A or the dual class sort mm -hmm. of uh, system mm -hmm. it's it's just one system mm -hmm. just one share so it's much Majority easier shareholder has the say it's actually look. If Trump had the resources, <laughs> the financial resources, he does have the money. Yes, which he, which he does have, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> he can go to the open market, <laughs> buy up typical, as many shares as possible, stock exchange person, <laughs> get a board seat, get Jack out of out of, <laughs> out of the executive. <laughs> And he's back on Twitter. That would be an expensive <laughs> process to get his Twitter handle back. <laughs> I think the wine is working too much magic. Now. <laughs> let's uh, now that you talked about Poland, let's look at it in another at another extreme. You know, our our neighbors right here, Uganda, um, who whose president decided to ban Facebook. You know, you because to suspend to, susp to suspend Facebook. Sorry, <laughs> uh, because they're deemed arrogant, mm -hmm. which brings us. Um, one important question so how do we balance you know the community rules of a social media uh, platform with the jurisdictional rules you know of, of a country because yeah. poland on one extreme seems to act in a way that could be you know might be deemed favorable while uganda on there is on the other extreme mm. so how do we balance that especially in, at a time where social media platforms are global phenomena yeah i think maybe let me go first before felix you answer <laughs> For me, I think, uh, and, and this is something that has been now, it has revitalized the discussions on Twitter about. Um, so I think the major benef beneficiaries of Web 2.0 were the social media platforms. So, you know, uh, we all know them. But I think that, uh, that mishap or that step actually made people to start looking at, you know, these systems are actually broken. We can't have uh, that much control in platforms anymore. Uh, and so what is being championed for, let's say, Web 3.0 is actually decentralized platforms. So um, how do you then run a net or a system which is basically decentralized, can't be shut down uh, at one place, and it actually allows for still those discussions to happen, but it's, it's basically more liberalized. Think of it the same way blockchain, you know, is looking at the financial services. So um, the whole point for blockchain and Bitcoin is, uh, you know, rather than having central centralized systems that control money or basically wealth, you can have decentralized forms of control that allow people to transfer money uh, while still keeping the same principles or ethics uh, of money transfer or wealth uh, or banking, so to speak. So, so I think more people are going to look at decentralized uh, networks and I believe we're going to see um, soon the start of uh, decentralized sort of, sort of social communities uh, which would basically now uh, move away from what we currently have. But now to your question about um, where, we, where we actually how, how do we look at 
uh, that jurisdiction of countries. Uh, I believe Poland's law is actually very good and in the right uh, the right way, given that it's the first. Obviously, there's uh, lots of iterations that are going to happen. I, I'm pretty uh, looking forward to what the EU will come up with. Uh, but basically, it means you can't censor anything on your social platform that Poland agrees with. You know, so that's that's basically uh, the, the the law in a uh, uh, in a nutshell. But again, it opens up to now the case of Uganda, whereby um, the administration can wake up any day and decide uh, Facebook doesn't sit well with us, and that is shut or the internet, because I think there was actually an internet uh, blackout uh, when the election started. So it it again, it's the thing about technology and human uh, progress is, you know, you 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 come up with a technology that improves people's lives but again at the end of the day there's always going to be drawbacks there's always going to be uh, lots of negative uh, use cases for the same so for me it's it's about um do, are we able to set in place say policies that um that can govern at least uh, on a country level uh, what can or cannot be done because uh, in this day and age, you should not be allowed to shut down internet for citizens in a country. You know yeah, yeah, that true. that should be that should be a policy that is set, and you know all countries can be able to assent to. And if they do that, then there should be consequences that are very clear that uh, that regime or that government needs to be held accountable to, at least for internet. Because as we know it, um, most working from home, education, everything has moved online. So for for a government to actually shut that down, it's more in bad faith than in good faith. Yeah, for me, I think that's uh, th those are my thoughts. Definitely. I think I think let's let's let me hit the nail in the head. Purely on my my opinion, guys. I think it was too low for Uganda to shut down internet to the government of Uganda. Man, that's too <laughs> low. <laughs> We'll share this podcast with them, Felix. Yeah, man. Okay, me, I'm uh, not I trying to lose my visa. Your <laughs> no, 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 honestly. Honestly, this is, um, and this is clear, guys. This is my opinion. Honestly, I think that was too low of the government. You can't shut down internet. Um, uh, and then giving guys total blackout. Man, guys are out here in groups. You're in, you're in groups with Ugandans. All of a sudden, you, you're sending them messages. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, man. <laughs> ah, that's no, I, I honestly felt that was that was too low of them, and then bringing in back, I, I hope that just as Eric has mentioned, is that uh, we're going to see uh, decentralized uh, media coming into play. I, I think that would be much better. Absolutely. Because we we can't see we can't have Trump being uh, banned of social media, and yet we have other leaders who potentially incite violence um, not only in Africa but also um, globally still being left on the same social media platforms so to what level uh, to what level do we have these leaders being held accountable to the statements that they say and then also another thing is um, Probably also they need to clarify when on the T's and C's when you're signing up, what is it? What limit does it get to a point where mm. they say that um, this is now considered as something that incites violence? Uh, so I think that would be uh, that's a major challenge. And also considering that they went as far as holding the Porter's account from Trump's uh, press, yeah. uh, fr and they're saying that they're waiting until. Until Joe Joe comes in, Big Joe comes in, giving us a stimulus package as well. That's good, <laughs> but I believe those changes he's supposed to make, at least to ensure that you cannot you cannot tell you cannot control guys on what you want to hear. Exactly. Because but in the end, whoever sits back at the uh, um, whoever sits back at a table or at a desk, the team that sits back there and they come in and start uh, bringing in the. Uh, selecting which posts are specifically looked at it's what would please them yeah. in the end they will they will suspend that account then they will discuss it whoever convinces the team will look at it if 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 somebody manages if it's eric who was sitting behind and telling guys this account for felix is inciting violence 
once Eric has managed to convince the entire team, that's it. So I think um, what Poland has done is good. I hope that we'll have to. I know it will be long before it gets to Uganda. But <laughs> <laughs> you guys, now you know you're never going to. <laughs> I, think, I think it's really important for us to have this conversation beside how, besides how it affects social media. It's because um, as African uh, founders amongst us, some of us are trying to build peer-to-peer platforms that um, aim to go cross-border. So then um, how will specifically African startups, you know, navigate, you know, the rules of community versus the different jurisdictional, you know, rules? How, how will that auga in a payment space where, for example, different countries have different approaches towards, you know, things like uh, money laundering, just, just to name a few? That's a very difficult question. <laughs> and um, that's, I think that is why, yeah, that is why yeah. we're having this conversation. Absolutely. Because, you know, yeah. the, the interplay of regulation does not only affect social media, but it yeah. also affects um, most aspects of our lives that are cross-border. Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and like uh, one, one great example to give is um, a basketball team, the Houston Rockets. And we had to touch the NBA. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and and, and I, I, I think, I don't know if everyone remembers. So the Houston Rockets were actually still, the, I don't know about now, but they were the most popular team in China uh, because of Yao Ming. Yeah. He is like this very tall, seven foot, seven foot two Chinese. Are you explaining to guys who Yao Ming is? Oh, Yao Ming is... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so what, what happened was, um, so he, he was, um, him pretty much brought basketball to China. Um, the same way potentially Tony Parker did with basketball in France. And it, the Houston Rockets, which was the team he played for, became extremely popular. But then the GM of the Houston Rockets tweeted something uh, before uh, an exhibition game yeah. to the context of uh, supporting human rights in Hong Kong. But then obviously that's a very contentious issue in China. And then obviously that had massive commercial ramifications for both the NBA and the Houston Rockets, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same way with startups. I mean, look, at the end of the day, um, yeah, I'll say it. Uh, at the end of the day, for you as a company, you owe it to yourself, your shareholders, uh, to make money. And it's sad that sometimes you'll have to sidestep a lot of those issues, but your goal when moving into a new market is not to be enthralled by the politics or to sit at the center of it or to have opinions on on it. it that's just my opinion. I think <laughs> your goal is to go there, execute, make whatever money you're making, and your employees can have opinions. Your, everyone else can have, you can have your own opinions, but I don't think your host country cares to hear them or gives a damn about hearing them. So I think in, in my sense, Yes, indeed. It might contravene potentially some of your personal beliefs, um, but at the end of the day, your goal is is, is to execute. And obviously, there are models around um, sustainability and doing eth- ethical business and all that stuff. But um, if 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 I think you owe it to yourself, um, it's none of your business, in my opinion. But I think again now uh, now that you mentioned that again, I've also remembered a good example. Um, I think there was this article uh, on The Athletic talking about the erasure of Mesut Ozil. Because mm-hmm. again, he got into the same debacle. So there's, um, there's an issue going on that you feel you need to speak about. Yep. And for this case, again, it was the China issue, the human rights issue. And he spoke uh, about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually what that meant was that, you know, uh, all the commercial... Yeah. deals that you had Cross with China. all your sponsors your team is not even going to play you anymore uh, even i think even the epl there was a time there was a total blackout in china so again the censorship is issue is is, is very sensitive uh, when you look at it that way because um it means there is more and more countries that um, really feel like they need to control or they need to have a say in what uh, platforms or uh, even people are going to say about them. Yeah. And if you go against that, then uh, it's going to have ramifications uh, for you and your, your team, your company, and everything. Yeah. But but it, it's interesting because 
I hope the Uganda case is isolated and it's not a precursor of things to come uh, yeah. because I wouldn't imagine a scenario where um, you know more countries you know God forbid like Kenya oh that's uh, not gonna we, happen we get yeah. we get <laughs> we get our internet uh, shut down just because there's divergent uh, mm-hmm. opinions yeah. online or uh, you know the like so uh, for me I feel and again the best way to go about it is can we get strong enough regulation can we get clear guidelines about um, what you can and can't do as a government because um, at the end of the day it's it's as easy as a government issuing a letter to the ISP and saying you know guys shut, them internet, shut this yeah. down yeah. and at the end of the day it's people who are who has that decision to actually shut it down and as you mentioned the corporates and the uh, the organization in this case uh, the obligation is to make uh, money for yes. their shareholders <laughs> so if that means shutting down the internet they're Indeed. going to shut down the internet yeah. so for me I, I feel like we really need uh, clear guidelines on how to approach this so so that we don't get to a scenario whereby uh, we see more and more countries going that route because i believe that th- that is the most ex- extremist mm-hmm. of all uh, decisions uh, beyond just you know censoring censoring someone on Twitter or on Facebook or on I think social. You you made you, you see that very one point. Um, one person who's been able to navigate such politics in a very interesting way is Elon Musk. I don't know if anyone has had the chance to read um, Bloomberg Business Week um, this week's edition mm-hmm. because they they spoke about how Elon Musk has been able to navigate like the tricky Chinese politics. Smack in the middle of like a geopolitical war between the Trump administration and China, mm-hmm. yet Tesla has built the Shanghai Gigafactory, selling record number of cars there, getting tax breaks. Heck, Elon Musk owns a hundred percent. Well, rather, Tesla owns a hundred percent of like the Chinese entity. Something that has never happened with anyone else. But then again, it's about navigating those land, land, landmines and, and 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 I don't know what the Chinese want. Uh, it's a very difficult. I mean, <coughs> I feel I feel like. Elon is very smart, so um, the Chinese uh, market was obviously very essential for him mm-hmm. to just appease to the shareholding and you know uh, be able to actually show that an, Amer- an American company can actually set up and do business in in China. Mm-hmm. But I think long term he's not focused on that market. I think he's more focused on India, and I think this week they set yeah. up uh, mm-hmm. the plant in India. So I feel his game in Asia is going to be more India. It's going to be driven by India rather than China. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think China was more political, you know, just get that goodwill, um, appease your shareholders, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, make sure people know that you can do business in China. But the end goal is actually India and uh, the other Southeast southeast uh, nations around that um, yeah um, you know the, the one thing that I you just mentioned about uh, the I keep asking myself how many Teslas can they sell there well in India or in, in India in, in India and in Southeast <laughs> Asia obviously they, they are well off economies mm-hmm. but how many cars <coughs> can you sell um, it's 2,000 units 3,000 units <laughs> no I think eventually, eventually it, it, it goes the Europe way. So if you look at Europe, uh, be it Finland, be it Netherlands, um, the Tesla is now the, the most the most sold EV yeah. In, yeah. in most of the countries in Europe. And again, if you look at the adoption of EVs, it's we're not talking 100,000 units. We're talking 20K, 30K, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. annual units in small countries. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that market that way, uh, I think India presents that opportunity. Yeah. But again, from our earlier discussions, clean tech is where everything is moving. Absolutely. So uh, I think this year or next year I want to get a Tesla. So, you know, again, if they come to Kenya or Africa right now, how many units are they selling? Yes. Maybe One. Probably less than 10,000. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if you look at 10 years, if you look at 5 years, yeah. if you look at a 5-year plan, yeah. um, they're actually going to be the leading uh, EV makers or sellers in, 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 in that market. So for me, it's, it, clean tech is, is long term. Yeah. It's not a one, two year uh, game. Yeah. It's, it's more five to ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I think most people are betting on Tesla for you know, the mid to long term. Yeah. Uh, so because in as much as it's returning 700 uh, you know, and 30 returns in a year, mm-hmm. I think if you look at it over 10 years, there's that real value. Uh, 
to actually attain from Tesla people uh, and I think even Jamath is is looking is saying you know um, climate change you yeah. know clean energy is where the next trillionaire yeah. will be absolutely so 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 if, if you look at that market and then you understand why it's important for Elon to be in a market like India where they have crossed 1 billion people yeah and I am sure in the next three years he's going to have an Africa forecast plan because again for us we're going to hit uh, 3B that uh, yeah 1B to b yeah. I think then for the last topic sorry oh yeah for we, the last topic we can we can talk about privacy yeah WhatsApp signal telegram oh, no we don't have time okay. it's okay <laughs> <laughs> um, yep, I think that's gonna be it guys yeah. I, I <laughs> definitely promise you an under an hour episode yeah. you only have 24 of those in a day yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you survive this um, this much of the episode you should definitely hear the brand are behind all this amazing content so this episode is brought to you by the hisap which is africa's first crowdsource investing platform that makes financial markets more social so check out um hisap which is the mother brand of um the kenyan wall street and other leading publications the app is available on android and ios that's going to be it for today um see you next time see you next time from the we curious team all right guys bye, bye.